Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 10, Creature's Tale. Harry woke early next morning, wrapped in a sleeping bag on the drawing room floor. A chink of sky was visible between the heavy curtains. It was the cool, clear blue of watered ink, somewhere between night and dawn. I'm Casper Turkile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Thank you so much to Mary Cox, Aurora J. Medina, Ben Pruitt, Stevie Mock, and Catherine Grafe. You are our beloved patrons this week, and we could not do the show without everyone who supports us on Patreon. Did you know we are in the top 100 podcasts in the whole world on Patreon because of our amazing community? So thank you, thank you for making everything possible. And this week, we want to shout out a local group from Columbia, Missouri, where my best friend Kim lives. Unfortunately, I don't think she is in the group Rebellio Como, which is run by April and Jamila. But other great people live in Columbia, too. And also, please go and learn more about our amazing summer camp, which is coming up really soon. And you can learn more about it at harrypottersacredtext.com. Vanessa, this week we're reading chapter 10, which is one of my favorite chapters in this whole book, through the theme of neglect. And you're going to share a story for us. I am. But before I do, I just want to offer a content warning. This story has to do with the traumatic death of a small child. And so if you would like to skip this story, it is about four minutes long. So please fast forward four minutes from now and the story will be over 
So in St. Louis, Missouri, not far from our local group, there was a big news story right after I had left in 2006 that I followed quite closely. It was two parents who were both doctors at Washington Medical Center, and the mom thought that the baby was in the father's car, and the father thought that the baby was in the mother's car. And they both went into work. And several hours later, a passerby saw a newborn baby in the backseat of a car on a 90-degree day and broke the window to try to get the baby, and the baby had already suffocated to death. And so there was a big, you know, kerfuffle about whether or not they should be tried for criminal negligence. And it was it was just a really intense and interesting thing to watch unfold because obviously a lot of credit was given to them based on the fact that they were both highly educated doctors. And so there was immediately really an outpouring of questions and concern for the parents. And one of the conversations that was happening was actually that this level of negligence was actually the byproduct of a failed system. Like this woman shouldn't have had to go back to work so quickly after having a baby. They were both exhausted. While you're a resident, you shouldn't have to work 100-hour weeks. There was a lot of conversation about the system that went into place that created the ability for this accidental negligence to happen. And the parents ended up not being tried for criminal negligence because they said that this was an honest mistake that any reasonable person in their circumstances could have made. And therefore, it was not formally negligent. And I think that the reason that the state decided that this was not criminally negligent, but was something that, quote unquote, could happen to anybody was because of their whiteness, because they were people of privilege and they were doctors. And so there's this assumption built in that like doctors, right, white doctor parents would never make an intentionally negligent choice. And I think that the state of Missouri was right. I do not think that these people were criminally negligent. The thing that it always makes me think is that I hope that that's the kind of justice that people of color or poorer people would also have gotten. And I'm very skeptical of that. And so I'm curious about that. When negligence gets criminalized, when it is culturally appropriate to be negligent and when it is culturally inappropriate to be negligent. Hermione, for example, is calling out the fact that it is not acceptable. It should no longer be acceptable to be negligent around the feelings of a house elf, right? And she is trying to change a cultural norm on that. But that has been a cultural norm for a really long time. You are allowed to treat house elves differently than you're allowed to treat other people. And so it's just interesting to me the things that we are are legally allowed to ignore. We are allowed to ignore pollution. We, until recently, were sort of legally allowed to ignore when a police officer was killing a black person. And so what is it that we institute as negligent, as unacceptable to ignore? And what do we just allow ourselves and each other to ignore? And what do we make those decisions based on? Because although I want to believe that the reason that those two people were not found guilty of criminal negligence is because it was genuinely a mistake that anybody could make. I also absolutely know that that decision was made because they were white, wealthy, educated doctors. Wow. I had not heard about that case. What a, just a horrific situation, first of all. And I am really curious about that question of, yeah, what do we deem as negligent? What counts? What doesn't? So I look forward to to digging into that question together in this chapter, Vanessa. But before we do that, let's not neglect to share what happens in this week's chapter by doing a 30-second recap 
and it's my turn to go first. So will you put 30 seconds on the clock? Happily. On your mark. Get set. Go. So um, Harry wakes up and goes to this room, uh, Sirius's room, and finds this letter from his mother, which is beautiful, and then finds a photograph with him zooming around. Um, and it's very touching and beautiful. And then he's like, ah, and then Hermione comes up, yay. And then they scream for Ron. Ron's like, oh my God, who died? Everything's fine. Go down to talk to Creature. Creature does a tell-all book deal exclusive extraordinaire and is like, I'm the one who hid the RAB locket and went there and like was sacrificed by Voldemort, but I was rescued by RAB. And that's the that's the deal. <laughs> that is the deal. I love how committed you are to a button. I just want to learn from all of those Romanian gymnasts, right? Like, yeah. even if you fall, you get back up and you smile for the judges. You stick the landing. <laughs> stick the landing. You always are proudly like chest out, arms up. Sell it, baby. <laughs> yeah. Did I fall? You'll never know. Yeah, because I'm surmising. Um, <laughs> all right. 30 seconds for you to fill in some of those details. Are you ready? I sure am. Three, two, one, go. So it turns out that Regulus actually flipped and became like anti-Voldemort. And so he switched the lockets and Creature had the Horcrux, but Mundungus, um, Mundungus stole it. And so Creature is sent on a mission by Harry to go get it back and has been given as a gift the locket that R.E.B. had. And is like so sad about it that he dissolves into tears. And Hermione is like, don't you understand, Harry? He doesn't mean to betray Sirius. And so Creature is sort of a good guy again. I just focused on the Creature's tail part. It turns out that is the core of the chapter. <laughs> it's such a good chapter because not only do we get more on the hunt for Horcruxes with the lead, right? We know where one of them is going to be, but we also have this real wonderful adventure story with Creature who changes in our opinion. And this is always my favorite thing. The theme is in the chapter. The very word neglect is early on in the chapter. And this is the sentence which it's in. Had he, Dumbledore, been like Dudley, content to watch neglect and abuse as long as it did not affect him? And of course, in this context, Harry is wondering about what he's learned from Aunt Muriel and what he might learn from Bathilda Bagshot. But what's so interesting, I think, in this moment is that it's not just that Harry's pointing to Dumbledore's neglect of Ariana, that that's at the center of his worries. I think there's also something here about his neglect of Harry, because Harry is feeling very lost right now. Like he, he's not got any sort of instructions that he knows how to follow. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know how to fulfill this strategy that he, of the task that he's been given. So I think that's why it's so important to Harry, because he's like, you neglected me. You didn't care for me and look after me in the way that I needed you to. Yeah. And that is one of the things that I always find troubling about neglect. I think that sometimes people try to hide behind inaction. It's like, mm. I don't know the perfect thing to do. So I'm just not going to do anything. And I don't want to get in the middle of it. And I just don't want to make any mistakes. And we've talked about this before, but inaction is an action, right? A lie of mm -hmm. omission that would be essential information is a lie. And I think that Dumbledore really intentionally tried to walk that line of telling Harry all of the necessary information that he could think of while not giving Harry too much information for reasons that still I don't totally understand. 
And Harry, in this <laughs> moment at least, is experiencing that as neglect. He's not experiencing that as strategy. He's not experiencing that as wisdom. He is simply experiencing that as he neglected to care enough about my feelings. He neglected to care enough about me as a person to tell me all this information. Well, I really like the phrasing that you're just saying that he he neglected to care about me because that's what I took away from this chapter was that neglect is the opposite of care. And for me, it really helped me understand what is at the heart of this theme, because even with that idea of like inaction is neglect, we can't take action on everything all of the time. And I've seen this in really beautiful illustrations recently about the different roles that we can play in social justice work, for example. Like you can really be on the front line of one issue or really active and leading other people on one issue. But on other issues, maybe you play more of a support role or maybe you're in a a caregiving role or maybe you're, you're providing a safe space where people can come and talk about their experience. So that there's all sorts of different ways to express that care, but that we can't always do everything all of the time. Like... That's why we have each other, because then everyone can take something. You know, I love that image of like, take responsibility for your corner or, or your issue, and then kind of support other people as they're leading on theirs. That's the image I've been trying to work with as a as an expression of care, because I don't think any of us want to neglect our, our duty, right? Our civic duty, but also our moral duty. Yeah. And I, I love that definition of neglect as the opposite of care, because I was thinking about Sirius's bedroom, which we get to see. Yes. And the fact that, you know, it's decorated in like such a serious way. It's all the Gryffindor colors and it's all these like sexist smuggle posters, (laughs) probably for political reasons to upset his parents, whatever. I'll let it slide serious. And then one of the things that's up there is a photo, you know, of Peter Pettigrew, Lupin, James and Sirius. And Sirius was living in this house before he died, right? And presumably Mm -hmm. sleeping in this room. And I was like, God, he neglected to take down this photo of the four of them. And then, of course, you find out that there's been a sticking charm that has been put up. That, And I love that idea, too, because I can totally imagine <laughs> in a fit of rage as a 15-year-old being like, I'm putting this stuff up forever, right? And like, <laughs> and suddenly I was just like, oh, that's not neglect. That was so much care at 15 mm. that it can't be undone. And there are decisions that we make you know, that we can't undo. But I did think I was like, oh, this room has been neglected since he was a 15 year old. He was living here as a 40 something looking at a photo of the man who betrayed him. Yeah. The whole room is fascinating because in between when he's 16 and when he's 40, he's left, right? So his family have also left that room untouched. And at first I was like, is this a sign of neglect, right? Like they don't care. They just want him out of their life. Or is it that kind of empty nest thing where you don't want to change the kid's bedroom because it's a reminder of the kid and it's kind of like a shrine to someone who's left? Like, is it actually a sign of care that they miss him and that they want Sirius back? Kind of like we're seeing with Percy to some extent. I don't believe that a 15, 16 year old's magic is undoable, right? Like with some intentionality, you could get, surely, surely you could get rid of it. Or is it like an unbreakable, like blue tack on the wall? (laughs) I was thinking of it as like a tattoo or as like a mural, right? Like you can, but you have to get the tattoo removed or you have to like Mm -hmm. bring in painters. If you really wanted to undo it, you could undo it. But 
so much care, right, was put into making it permanent that a tremendous amount of care would have to go into removing it. Yeah, it's such a, a rich image. And then we go into Regulus's room and we see this very different kind of pictures on the walls. Everything is slithering colors, right? We really see these two brothers come to life in a way through the rooms in which they lived. And it, it just reminded me that what makes a sacred place special is often the care that's given to it, right? Maybe it's people praying in that space or they're cleaning it or they're decorating it with flowers because they're on the flower committee or, you know, the, the ways in which we make spaces sacred is through the care that we exhibit. And that one of the ways that you can see things become unsacred is is when we neglect a space or maybe neglect a book or, or, or whatever it is. I, I loved seeing that connection between sacredness and care and sacredness and neglect as well. Yeah. So where else did you see this theme of neglect, Vanessa? So what I was struck by is one of the things we actually find in Sirius's room, which is this letter from Lily to Sirius. Oh, it I made know. me cry. It's so beautiful. They make their G's the same. So Lily, it's just like this beautiful letter. It's a thank you note, essentially, where Lily is writing to Sirius, thanking Sirius for sending one-year-old Harry a baby broom. But what it made me think of on the theme of neglect was the petunia not only locked this child under the stairs and underfed him and clothed him in clothes that don't fit and hit him and every other thing, she withheld stories about Lily. Mm. Harry is holding on to every G in this letter and seeing I write my G's the same way as if it is like life's blood, right? This is as much tactile information about Lily as he has ever gotten. And there's a line in the text about, and made him realize that Lily Potter was a real person, right? She's like gossiping and like talking about feelings and just like being a human being. And Harry lived in that house with Petunia for 16 years and she never told him an anecdote And that kind of neglect, right? Like that's an intentional neglect. That is, I have information that could help you and that could make you have a sense of identity and that could make you happy. And I am just going to withhold it. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, what's funny is that (laughs) in reading that letter, what I took away was like, oh, Petunia sent a vase. (laughs) She's expressing care, right? Because we see that Harry breaks one of these vases on his little mini broomstick. But you're so right. I mean, those are the stories that help us feel connected, especially to people who have passed, is is when we hear those stories, is when we hear those anecdotes. I mean, there's even really interesting research that people who are told stories about their family, about their grandparents, about their ancestors, actually have a, a better well-being in later ages. They do better in school. They literally get better school scores. And it's in part because those stories are a resource, right? If I know that my mom or my grandfather or my cousin was able to navigate a difficult experience and come out on the other side and still survive and still thrive, that means I know I can do the same thing in a similar situation. And Harry is robbed of those stories. You know, he holds on to this one scrap of paper for dear life. Yeah. And even I like seeing James's legs in the photo. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, he was like chasing me. I'm like, this is criminal neglect, right? This is criminal. Mm. You know what you could do. It would cost you nothing but pride to do it. And you Mm. are intentionally withholding it. The other thing that, that we learn from both the photograph and the letter is, of course, that Sirius sent a broom. 
And the way that we're introduced to Sirius in the books is when he sends the firebolt. I don't know, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten that parallel. And it just, it really brought to mind for me this parallel between these two really important mental figures in Harry's life. Sirius expressing care and Dumbledore, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode, kind of representing neglect in some way, or at least it's not a heart care. It's a kind of head care or like a, it's colder. It's colder. And and what I got from Sirius was just this warmth and this consistency and faithfulness to Harry. And it's ugh, just beautiful. Absolutely. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. So, Casper, I think we would be remiss if we did not dive into Creature's Tale a little bit. The most obvious place that I saw neglect within this story is Voldemort's neglect to see how self-magic. It's incredible, right? He forgets that house elves have a different kind of magical power, which means that when Regulus summons Creature, even though he's about to be pulled under the water by the inferi, he disapparates back home. And Voldemort had just never thought of it. Yeah, and what it made me think of is that Voldemort's neglect to see the humanity of Creature actually is a structural failure, right? So his mm. his little canoe that could get you across the Inferi Lake. <laughs> I'm making it sound like a vacation spot. Anyway, <laughs> but his like little boat, right? We find out from Dumbledore and Harry when they go at the end of book six that it can only fit one person, but that Voldemort probably never thought about one person and just kid, right? That it was like one fully matured wizard. Well, we see in this that Voldemort went across with creature. And so again, 
his not seeing the humanity in creature created this weakness, which mm. ended up allowing Harry to go. And so it's neglecting to see the full humanity of other people, right? It costs us. Our fates are enough bound up in one another that whenever we neglect to see the humanity in one another, it comes back to bite us. And that is really what I saw with Voldemort's complete neglect of seeing creatures anything other than a test subject, right? He's literally just using creature yeah. for the sake of a science experiment. And what's so interesting is I really had to do a reframe of creature as a character in the books when reading this chapter because I had kind of bought into the sense that he was all into like wizard supremacy and like he's an evil character, right? He agrees with Voldemort on the issues. And like that's <laughs> not, that's not what it's about. Creature is all about personal loyalty. What really matters to him is the expression of care by an individual. And that that's what binds him. And the moment at the very end of the chapter when Harry then gives the fake locket to Creature, we suddenly see the relationship turn because Harry is kind of building that one-on-one -on -one relationship with, with Creature. It, it's kind of the opposite of exactly what you were just pointing to, that Voldemort didn't consider Creature's own experience and and talents. And here Harry is treating Creature with respect and, you know, giving a gift, taking him seriously. It's so interesting that, you know, you started thinking about Creature as a wizard supremacist, and certainly he's a mouthpiece for it. So it's a fair conclusion to come to. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are about a creature that's not even a wizard being a wizard supremacist. Is that also about self-loathing? I mean, I read it immediately as a closeted gay person being like the biggest homophobe, right? I mean, we have seen that so often, whether it's, you know, people advocating for gay conversion therapy or maybe actually the folks struggling with their own gay desire. People in elected office who come down really hard against gay rights turn out to be closeted gay people. Obviously, I don't want to paint a consistent picture of that, but it reminded me so much that sometimes you can be the mouthpiece against the very thing that you actually are and that you you just haven't, you know, arrived in, at a safe acceptance or you haven't been exposed to a way of being healthy with that identity. And so that that's what that's what I saw in Creature. And I was like, I can believe that, right? Like I know, <laughs> I know that experience to some extent. And it's only when we're cared for that we can let go of that cruelty and that nastiness because i think in many ways like creature just hasn't known another way yeah it was also reminding me as you were talking about right like the women who came forward defending trump when the grab him by the pussy comment came out mm. that it was like oh this is just men being men this is locker room stuff and i don't want to take any away anyone's agency right i don't want you know to say well all those women are clearly brainwashed by the patriarchy right. Right. and like right. that's the only reason they could be voting for trump and saying that but the other part of me is like there's no way that you feel as though that is a respectful way for your body to be talked about unless you have imbibed some of these patriarchal notions which we all have right like i tell myself horrible things about my body all the time. So like yes. none of us are free from this. Right. So I think the thing to do is to not be like, well, those women are brainwashed by the patriarchy, but <laughs> I'm not. It's like, no, we all are. But what we can do is is stand up for each other. I mean, and that that's what I love in this chapter is that Harry repeatedly interrupts the hate speech that Creature is shouting at Hermione. And Hermione is actually like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm fine. And Harry's like, that's not acceptable, right? I forbid you from using that language. 
But Harry is also interrupting Creature's self-harm, right? He, like, lunges for the poker before Creature can grab it. He tackles Creature to stop Creature from hurting himself. So it's not as though Harry is only prioritizing his friend. Even though he still sort of hates Creature, he's like, I'm not going (laughs) to watch you hurt yourself. I mean, I love reading Harry as this kind of figure of of caregiving. And I would say the only place where he shows neglect is kind of with his own feelings. He was really trying to, like, make the bad feelings go away, right? The text tells us that he can't bear staying in this feeling and he's looking for distractions. Right? He, do- he doesn't want to be present to the suffering that he feels when he when he thinks about his parents. And so that's maybe an invitation from the text as well, is to think about caring for ourselves and to not to not neglect the feeling storm <laughs> that, that can sit kind of raging underneath the surface. Whether it's talking to someone about it, whether it's, you know, finding some way to to give them a place that doesn't overwhelm us, I think I think is really important. Yeah. Neglect is actually sometimes built into care, right? Like you shouldn't mm. overwater plants. You have to let part of your land lay fallow. Sometimes leaving something else alone in order to care for yourself or in order to give it respite is actually a gift. Yeah. Although I, maybe the way I would frame it is that even laying fallow is more an expression of care than neglect because you have to know when to let it be fallow, you know? And I think neglect is just turning our eyes away completely. And I don't want to neglect anything now. (laughs) I'm like, no, care for everyone. Even if our actions can't always be the most in every situation, to lean into caring and not run away from it. Oh, I love that reframe. It would be intentionally neglectful if I like saw one of the kids was hungry and I didn't feed them. Mm. But it would be caretaking if I was like, no, they need to figure out this school question on their own and I'm going to let them do it independently. Mm -hmm. You can leave something alone without neglecting it. Okay, Casper, we are done with Lectio Divina. Bye, Lectio Divina. No, I love Lectio Divina. This week, we are going to pick up with Chavruta. Yay, I love Chavruta. (laughs) Which is our Talmudic practice in which one of us will bring a question and an answer, and the other person is going to respond with their own answer to the question and another question and another answer. So it is a text-based conversation that we're going to engage with. And I have a question for you. All right. Bring it on. When Harry, who owns Creature, hands Creature a locket, which is sort of like a piece of clothing, (gasps) does Harry free Creature? Oh, my God. How had I not seen that? Me neither until this reading. And my answer is yes, and that he has just created this relationship based on trust and care and creature, right? He cries for half an hour and Harry and Ron and Hermione read it as like no one's ever given him a present before. And it's like, no, he's crying because he's free and he goes to do this by choice And he is choosing to not even tell them that he's free, but to revel in it and to try to be loyal to Regulus and to these three kids who are being kind to him. Wow. Okay, there is so much to explore here. So 
First of all, you know, I'm sure there's some very detailed wizarding lore about whether jewelry counts as clothing, which I'm not going to get into because I don't know. The other question for me is, is the locket Harry's to give? Because to some extent, it never belonged to Harry. Although that point can be undermined by the legal precedent of the sock versus Malfoy, which went through the wizarding courts, you know, some years ago, because Lucius throws this sock kind of in the direction of Dobby. It's not Lucius's sock, it's Harry's sock. But nonetheless, Dobby is freed. But the bigger question that I want to think about underneath all of this is, what does it mean for Creature to continue living in this house, to continue kind of working with Harry to some extent, if he is genuinely free. Because what we see happening next, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, is that he starts to really look after the trio, right? He starts cooking for them. He cleans the whole house. And so we've just seen Harry express care to Creature and and Creature is going to express that back. And, and that's what Creature can do, right? If we think about the different ways of expressing care, Creature is not necessarily going to be like in the Battle of Hogwarts, but what he can do is provide food and look after this trio who he doesn't understand their mission, but he cares for them. I'm going to read Creature so differently because of this. That's beautiful. What you said made me think that Creature might also choose not to tell them that he's been freed because he's scared that they'll kick him out. Because they won't trust his silence, essentially. Right. He doesn't have any other options. He do- it doesn't feel as though he has any other options. So I wonder if he doesn't share that he's free because he's scared to. I mean, that's what's so clear in this whole situation is that it, it's not a simple situation. I don't want to infantilize him in any way. But at the same time, I don't feel like he's had a rich growth environment in which to discover and understand the world. I mean, he's only ever known the Black family. And that that's not a healthy environment to, to grow up in. That also just speaks to what a poor metaphor house elves are for slavery, right? Like 100%. Talking about house elves in terms of anything in, outside of the Harry Potter world is not helpful. It's only worth talking about within this framework. The other question that comes to me is that even though Ron is very familiar with house elves, even though Hermione, you know, has has set up a campaign to support house elves, is it Harry's experience with Dobby that makes him such an effective communicator and, and trust builder and even protector of Creature? You know, he has this instinctual moment of throwing his body on Creature to stop him from hurting himself. Do you think it's that Dobby friendship that has prepared him for this moment? Yeah, and I love that also because the text says, you know, instinctively and... I love that if you love someone and you've spent a lot of time taking care of them, eventually that becomes instinct. And so I love that definition of instinct. Essentially, the definition Mm. of instinct is something that you have practiced again and again. That's what this podcast is all about. (laughs) True. (laughs) We're trying. We're trying. I wonder why I love it. Oh, thank you so much for reintroducing us to Havruta. It's always fun to find a whole new question that emerges from a reading of the text. This was great. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Culver. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. My name is Culver, and I'm calling from Michigan. As I was listening to your discussion of heirlooms and objects losing heirloom status in Book 5, Chapter 33 on inheritance, I was reminded of a story I'd like to share with you. So before I was born, my parents had to furnish their first home together, and because their budget was tight, a lot of their furniture ended up coming from various discount stores and garage sales and the like. And one of the things they got from a garage sale was a rocking chair that was really just average wood, nothing super special. It's not ornate at all. And I'm recording this still looking at that rocking chair. When my wife and I bought our first home, we quickly realized that I really wanted to have this rocking chair in my living space. And thankfully, my parents had held on to it because this rocking chair ended up becoming the chair that my mom nursed me in the chair that my parents sang me lullabies to sleep in, and it was a fixture throughout the home when I was growing up. My parents were just kind of taken aback that this was so important to me because to them it was still just the same old chair that they bought at a garage sale for cheap. So what I realized with the discussion on inheritance is that heirlooms aren't just things we can lose, they're also things that we're creating all the time. My parents never realized they were creating a family heirloom with this rocking chair. They just used it and created loving memories for me in it and kept it in good enough shape that I'm still able to use it. And hopefully when my wife and I have kids, we'll be able to keep it in good enough condition that we can pass it on to them as grandma and grandpa's rocking chair. So what I feel called to do is to pay closer attention to the objects I'm using in my everyday life and treat them as less disposable, keep them maintained, because I truly have no idea what my kids or their kids even will find indispensable in the things that I have today that I don't see as anything special. Thank you for everything you do with the podcast, and I hope you have a great day. Oh, Colvor, that's beautiful. And it's such a great reminder that 
you know, especially kiddos will will see things and notice things that we just take for granted or, or don't consider special. And I don't think it's just about kids. Like I'm using right now as a sound dampener in, in my bedroom as I record this podcast, this yak wool throw that my friend Caroline owned, maybe gave to me, maybe I just started using because I loved it so much and then she let me have it. And it reminds me of her every time. And I, I just think objects carry our memories in such powerful ways. And I'm I'm so glad that rocking chair is going strong. Yeah, I have my grandmother's old plastic colander and it's like from the 70s and it's probably has all sorts of chemicals in it. And I just like don't care. It is the colander that she used to make my mac and cheese in and wash cherries in for us to eat. And then my mom used it and it was definitely a dollar 50 years ago. And I use it every day and I have a nice colander, but I don't use it. Yeah, it's amazing what these silly objects can come to mean to us, right? I mean, I think we see that in this chapter, right? That that photograph, that little piece of the letter is, you know that's staying with Harry for the rest of his life. It breaks my heart that he can't find the next page. Well, Vanessa, it's time for us to give a blessing to someone in the pages of this chapter. Who are you going to bless? I'm going to bless Lily Potter hmm. for taking on the extra emotional labor of writing the thank you note. Sirius is James's friend more than her friend, but is James writing the thank you note? No. <laughs> Lily took the picture. Lily printed the picture. Lily wrote the thoughtful note. I just feel like even though she's dead, she was doing all this extra work and it pays off because now Harry gets to enjoy her beautiful letter. So I just would like to offer a blessing for Lily for writing this beautiful, thoughtful thank you note because it ends up being a gift in and of itself. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless? Well, I wanted to bless James Potter, although now I'm feeling slightly sheepish about that because he should have written a thank you note as well. But either way, what I want to bless James for is that in, in the letter, it's described that he's feeling really kind of frustrated. He misses his friends. He's been, you know, stuck at home. And it's suddenly connected with, you know, our COVID experience of like, my God, it's been more than 100 days now. And I am really struggling some days. And I just, I feel so much for James. And I feel so much for anyone who is stuck at home, especially young parents. I know it's a whole ton of work. And so... A blessing for James and, and anyone who's counting down the days until it's safe to come back out and be in public together. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can join our Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about the episode. Or come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. We have amazing perks there. You can leave us a review on iTunes, send us a voicemail, and please join us for camp. July 26th through August 2nd, we are hosting an immersive online summer camp. It's a choose-your-own-adventure, and you can join us for the whole week, just the weekend, for one of the evening live shows. All information can be found at harrypottersacredtext.com. Click on the big orange button. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 11, The Bribe, through the theme of normalcy. This episode is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we're distributed by Acast. Thanks to Culver for this week's voicemail. Thanks also as ever to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and of course, Stephanie Fulsell. We'll be with you all again next week. Thanks, everyone.
this question only occurred to me during our theme conversation. Really? I was like, <gasps> don't say anything during the theme conversation. And I typed <laughs> it in and I saw Ariana get mad that I was typing and I was like, I don't care. I can't lose this thought. 